All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Daily Faceoff Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis, live every weekday at New Eastern. Welcome into a February 21st edition of the Daily Faceoff Show. Tally Rumchuk and Frank Saravalli with you. Frank, up in Alberta, and I think five other provinces as well, it's family day today. It's a holiday Monday. Down in the States, it, President's Day, correct? Yeah, and I think it's wrong that the president of hockey content works on President's Day. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah, I was going to say I'm honored to be joined by my very own president, Frank Saravalli, today (laughs) on the show. And there is a lot for us to get to, Mr. President. So let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and start with another trade. We got another one, the second of deadline season or the second significant move of deadline season. The Toronto Maple Leafs and Arizona Coyotes making a trade on Saturday night. It's Ilya Labushkin and Ryan Zingle going to the Arizona, to the Toronto Maple Leafs, going to Arizona. As you can see, it's Nick Ritchie and that conditional draft pick there, either a second rounder in 2025 or a third rounder in a 2023 draft class that by all accounts is going to be pretty loaded. Uh, Frank, for me on the surface, this just looks like a trade that really makes sense for both sides, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it makes more sense for Toronto maybe than it does for Arizona at the moment when you're just looking at the big picture and that Toronto was trying to move Nick Ritchie's contract anyway. And it not necessarily so much about this season. Of course, the flexibility would be great. So it's a net cap change of really nothing because Ilya Labushkin comes in at that same cap number that Ritchie cost buried down with the Toronto Marlies. But the real win for the Leafs is that they're off Richie's contract for the off season. And that when every penny is going to matter, trying to re-sign Jack Campbell, 
you know, probably having to replace Ilya Mikheyev on the wing. What do they do with their fourth line center spot? There's only really $6 million to go around. Now you're upwards somewhere of seven and a half. If you were thinking that Richie was going to remain buried in the minors. So significant win. And in the meantime, you get a basically a free trial run at Ilya Labushkin because their goal this and their top objective, as we wrote in, in the last week on dailyfaceoff.com for the Toronto Maple Leafs, has been to improve and strengthen their second pair. They need a partner to play with Jake Muzzin. Is Ilya Labushkin an upgrade over Justin Hall? I'm not sold on that. But it's possible. And at the very least, he's an upgrade over Timothy Liljegren when it comes to playoff time with his big body and at times physical presence that Labushkin brings to the ice. So certainly more reliable in that front for a still developing Liljegren. And you can try it out. There's not a real significant cost. The Leafs have a lot of time to replenish that pick in the subsequent years if they choose to do so. And in the meantime, you also haven't used up your bullets. So you can try Labushkin, see if he works there, see if he is an upgrade. And if he is, great. Then you can now begin to tinker at the forward position. And if not, well, then you can still go out and have the ammo, the bullets, as Kyle Dubas said recently, that you need to really go out and get that second pair defenseman that you're hoping can improve your team for playoff time. Yeah, and I mean, from the Coyotes' perspective, just quickly, if they take that draft pick in 2023, then in the first three rounds of the next two drafts, they'll be up to 14 picks in total in those next sort of call them six rounds, right? So that's important. We know the Yotes need picks. And also, like, you do need to ice a roster. And Nick Ritchie will at least be, you know, a, a NHL-caliber winger for them to put on their team next season as he's under contract. And I mean... He scored 15 goals with the Boston Bruins. Let's say Nick Ritchie finds his game a little bit in Arizona. Who's to say at next trade deadline, they can't flip him for a fourth or a third round pick, right? Like there, it makes sense from Arizona's perspective. Yeah, I mean, it does in that sense. And and they probably had a sense at this point that Labushkin wasn't going to resign there as a pending unrestricted free agent. Ryan Dezingle, they move off almost $500,000 in real cash savings by getting rid of his contract as well. So I can see, you know, why they'd choose to do it. Um, you know, it, moving forward, they just, they need actual players. And I guess Richie will be one of them for next year. Sticking north of the border for our second topic, the Calgary Flames. I mean, it's the old red hot flames, right? Nine wins in a row in that nine game that. winning streak. Ah, yeah, yeah, it's an easy one, right? Low-hanging fruit. It's a holiday Monday. I didn't want to have to try too hard for my transitions. Uh, They've beaten Toronto, Vegas, even a win over Dallas in that span as well, outscoring the opposition 39-14 to over this nine-game winning streak. Eight of those wins coming in regulation as well. The big question, Frank, is this just a good team going on a really good heater, or is this Flames team showing signs that they're ready to be actual contenders? I think I still need to see them against some of the top teams in the league. I think the one thing when you watch this group um, over this nine game winning streak, as well as they've played, what still kind of sticks out to me is their recent run that they had uh, through the southeast of the U.S. when they played against Florida, Tampa and Carolina and got their doors blown off. So I think there's still a little bit to be desired. But really what sticks out for me with the Calgary Flames at the moment is You mentioned that nine-game winning streak and the goals against. It's 1.55 goals against on a nine-game winning streak. They're averaging north of four goals a game themselves. I've said it really since the beginning of the season. As well as the Calgary Flames have played defensively, 
they haven't gotten enough credit for how well that they've produced at the other end of the ice. And the fact that it hasn't come at a sacrifice of that defense is music to Daryl Sutter's ears. You know, I just look at this group all across the lineup, really what the improvements that we've seen under Daryl Sutter, you know, you see the steps that Nikita Zadorov has made in his game. You look at how well Tanhev has fit with the Calgary Flames and their blue line, Johnny Gaudreau and, and, and Matthew Kachuk, you see that their production has been there and you hear Daryl Sutter rave about the game that Johnny Gaudreau has had at both ends of the ice to hear him say that, you know, makes me think that that supports his candidacy in the Hart Trophy conversation. So um, lots to like from the Calgary Flames. And and through all of that, Tyler, you know, we've talked Vezina Trophy race. For whatever reason, Markstrom's name doesn't really seem to pop up in the top five of the conversation. Yet he's been everything that the Calgary Flames would need and more in net. Yeah, I mean, we'll get have a little bit more on a potential Vezina thing coming up later in the show, but you're right. Markstrom from the insane shutout streak at the beginning of the year to his play as of late. You mentioned the goals against average over this streak for the Flames as a team as well. It's just been unbelievable what Markstrom has done. And when they acquired Toffoli, a lot of people were saying, oh, this is, you know, part of it is an insurance policy in case Goudreau or maybe even Kachuk leave in the offseason. I mean, in the meantime, Goudreau and Kachuk are carrying that offense as well. So it's a Flames team that, I mean... What'll matter is the playoffs for that organization. They need to win around. They need to go on a bit of a run. But in the meantime, they're certainly looking like a team who could very well be capable of doing just that. Grinding, gritty goaltenders, Frank. What a couple of stories we got in the NHL over the weekend with the Hamburglar bursting back onto the scene and JF Barube in Columbus as well. These two guys, as you can see, over 3,000 days combined between their last two NHL victories. Uh, just one of those things. It's just so cool. Like these guys, they grind it out in the minors. Look at, you can see the amount of games they've played in the AHL between NHL starts. A really, really cool thing to see these two guys step up and come through with victories over the weekend. Yeah. I mean, look, this is really what the game's about is guys that have been given an opportunity for whatever reason, their game faltered a bit and were sent to the minors. You didn't see them run and go play in Europe. You didn't see them, uh, you know, hang their pads up and say, you know what, I I got a taste of the NHL. That's it for me. These guys are well into their 30s and have uh, have really grounded out in the AHL. I know Mike McKenna, our our daily faceoff analyst, who will be here tomorrow, he'd have a ton of respect for what they've been able to do. But just the spot that they've also been put in, Andrew Hammond coming in from Minnesota, just to be a warm body, to give Caden Primo uh, some time to get his confidence back, to you know give Sam Montenbeau a spell, um, you know to be asked to do that on a team that doesn't have much support in front of him but has played with a lot more energy since Marty St. Louis has taken over, uh, that's been big. And, and J.F. Berube in Columbus as well. Like We're talking... 3,000 days combined between these two guys last getting their last NHL start, not just their last NHL win. So for Hammond, it's been a bit longer than that going back to 2016. And I think you just give all the credit to the guys that continue to work at their craft, continue to work at their game, even though it's not at the highest level, it's still a pretty damn good one. Yeah, and I mean, the true mark of a journeyman goaltender in Andrew Hammond right there, wearing gear that in no way matches the jersey you're rocking as well. But you also got to wonder, like for me, I, I look at this, your first NHL win, I'd imagine, is something that's very near and dear to you and a special moment. 
I wonder if this one for these two guys almost means that much more because of what you would have had to go through to get back to that point. And it really is a shame Mike McKenna is not sitting where I am right now because he would probably have a lot better insight on that. But I would imagine that the, the process and going back to the American League after having some time in the NHL and then getting back to this point must just feel so rewarding. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. And you see J.F. Berube, and I think there's a family component that comes with it as well. I mean, you read the story from Aaron Portsline in The Athletic, and you see the photo, and you know, just to be... Uh, to have J.F. Berube and have his son at the game to see him play in an NHL game as a young guy, a little guy, um, and you know just hadn't with COVID and everything else, barely got a chance to see him play in the AHL, let alone get a chance to see his dad play in the NHL for the first time. So one of those family memories that uh, that I think you keep with you for a long time. Let's stick with goaltending for this last topic here. And I was watching that Senators Rangers game yesterday. You know me, betting guy. I had the Rangers on the puck line, and Igor, Igor Shesterkin launches one from behind his own net in the trapezoid, and this thing was inches away from a goalie goal. Rangers didn't even cover the puck line, so I'm extra irritated watching this clip. Anyways, Shesterkin, I mean, he's doing everything right for the Rangers right now. His numbers are absolutely off the charts, but as you pointed out to us before the show, that is maybe the second coolest play Shesterkin made over the last week. Yeah, check this out. This this pass that he makes in overtime from one knee, he floats it, I don't know, 110 feet right onto the tape with a little sauce to Artemi Panarin in overtime. I mean, just absolutely ridiculous to see the skill involved, to see the vision, and to have the confidence in overtime, the awareness of your surroundings. You know, most guys in that case might consider covering it up, maybe under siege a little bit. Calm just drops it nonchalantly on a rope. And, you know, it's funny. I read about um, Shesterkin this week in the New York Post from the great Larry Brooks, and he said, it's amazing to think about on a team with Panarin and Chris Kreider, one of the league's leaders in goals, that their most exciting player may be in net. It seems like he does something every night that uh, that you know has you on the edge of your seat, whether it's a save, whether it's a pass like that, whether it's an attempt at a goal. I've got a bold prediction. Igor Sisterkin, with as well as the Rangers have played, as many leads as they have, I think he gets a goalie goal before the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly willing to try it, right? And that and that's half the battle. If you get those opportunities and it's kind of wired into your brain that, hey, if I get it behind my net, I'm going to throw one down there. Um, the season he's having in general is just unbelievable. Pulled up some stats. These are of goalies who have played at least 25 games this season. So basically, you know, starters and backups. First and goals against average. Not only first and save percentage, Frank, but like running away with first and save percentage as well at that 939 mark. He's also first in five on five save percentage in the NHL and second in high danger save percentage, according to natural stat trick. This is a guy like coming into the year. I, I had my eye on him. I remember I asked you and Gregor a buy or sell question on the rundown um, about, you know, could Chester can be a Vesna candidate because his numbers were kind of trending that way. But even I didn't see this coming from him. He I think he's number one in the Vesna race right now. Hard to not think he is, given the stats, given where the Rangers are in the standings, given the excitement that he brings that we just showed you. I mean, to me, he's cemented himself at the very least in the conversation for the Vesna, uh, if not the outright front runner at this point with how well he's played and 
we can talk about it a bit on our uh, trade target segment coming up. But yeah. to me, Alexander Georgiev, uh, this it gives you all the confidence in the world if you're the Rangers that Shesterkin is the guy. He's got the contract. He's got the game. Uh, having an, a, a talented backup like Georgiev at that age, you know, to me, it's just a luxury that the Rangers simply can't afford to have. Let's keep the trade talk up. Let's get into another edition of Trade Targets. It is another edition of Trade Targets. Frank Cervalli's list always being updated over at Daily Faceoff. It's, as always, delivered to you by DoorDash. And Frank couple new names appearing on the list. I want to start with the one that actually really caught my attention off the bat is Victor Olofsson out in Buffalo. This is a guy 26 years old, pending RFA, only played in 158 career NHL games, but he has 42 goals in that span. What's leading to him being available in Buffalo? And if they do decide to move on from him, what kind of haul are they going to get? Well, it probably starts and ends with the fact that he's a pending restricted free agent and a guy that had already previously filed for arbitration. So his last contract that he got, just a shade over $3 million a year from the Buffalo Sabres in 2020, Kevin Adams was the GM then, um, was a decision after the arbitration filing and kind of gives you an indication in terms of, you know, it was a prove-it type situation for Victor Olofsson. And the problem is when it comes to the next case, the next arbitration case that could happen because he is eligible as a pending RFA is, that number continues to probably climb a bit, even though his production has dropped off a tad. Uh, he's now on track for 12 goals this season, which would be one less than he had uh, in the shortened campaign last year. Is The arbitrator also looks at career numbers. And so you mentioned them, 100 plus points now for his career, 42 goals. He's certainly going to be a guy that's probably in line for a bit of a raise. And perhaps it's one that the Buffalo Sabres don't want to pay. So Victor Olofsson, we believe, is available. Uh, I think the arbitration case with some of the guys that I had checked in with was somewhere around four and a quarter, potentially as high as four and a half million dollars. I think the one knock on Olofsson and his game, as he's a talented guy, no question, is that some of his play seems to come from around the perimeter. They wish he could get the puck to the middle of the ice more, wish that he would do a little bit more in the middle of the ice. So an interesting trade chip if you're talking about the Buffalo Sabres and potentially trying to shake things up a little bit. Is that a guy you think, uh, just quickly, a contender would be interested in, or do you think it's maybe a team with maybe a more long-term look is looking at acquiring? I think that's the best part about Victor Olofsson and exploring the possibility if you're the Buffalo Sabres is it should attract a number of teams, not just potentially contenders that would be looking for a piece, but also other teams that are looking to reshape their roster as well. Goaltending. A lot of teams are in the market for an upgrade between the pipes as well. And you have a couple of new names appearing on the list and, and throwing themselves into the goalie market. Yeah, and it starts with Braden Holtby from the Dallas Stars, also includes Anton Forsberg from the Ottawa Senators. And really what you're seeing here, the Dallas Stars are still very much in, in wait and see mode, but the way that Jake Ottinger has played, the way that he's grabbed that crease, I think has really opened the Dallas Stars up to the idea of potentially moving on from Braden Holpe if you can find the right assets in return because you still have Anton Hudobin and he's in a position where an easy call-up with Ottinger to ride out the remainder of the season also allows any young guys you have playing in Texas to 
get a little bit more ice time down in the AHL, some more starts. So to me, uh, I think that the Stars would have to be exploring the market for Holpe, even though with some of their other guys like John Klingberg and like Joe Pavelski, maybe even uh, an Alex Radulov, they're pending unrestricted free agents as they're trying to say, hey, well, we're trying to get in the playoffs. Let's give our team every opportunity possible. Again, coming off of a really disappointing loss to the Arizona Coyotes on Sunday night, losing to the 31st ranked team in points percentage while your team is still in the mix. I think you'd have to consider moving on from Braden Holpe and Anton Forsberg. A little bit of a similar conversation in the sense that it seems like Matt Murray has found his game a bit in Ottawa again since coming back from that recall from Belleville. We've talked about it on the blue paint with Mike McKenna and that uh, it seems like Matt Murray has gotten his confidence back. Forsberg is a guy that's a pending free agent, is going to need a new deal. I think the Sens are interested in having that conversation about potentially trying to keep Forsberg, but potentially some low-hanging fruit, a possibility to get a nice asset back in return if a team's looking for a guy in Forsberg who has really played quite well this season on an Ottawa team that hasn't had a lot of support in front of him or a lot to speak of. The goaltending market's interesting at the deadline. Like I'm putting together a piece for Oilers Nation. Obviously, Edmonton could be in the market for a goalie about just what deadline moves typically look like for goalies. You had the Leonard trade a few years ago when he found his way to Vegas. But when you look back, like you almost have to go all the way back to when Ryan Miller was traded to the St. Louis Blues to find the last time like a first round pick was involved and a real impact number one starter was moved. Like it, it, it is a rare thing to see that happen. And this year with so many names on, on your trade targets list, you would imagine that we will see that kind of move, right? Well, I think the other part of it on the goalie front is that you could potentially be looking at teams trying to get ahead of what's coming in the summer, the annual summer game of goaltending musical chairs. Like think about a guy like Junis Corpusalo, for instance, his numbers haven't been great in Columbus a couple years now in the eights with a save percentage, but he's a pending unrestricted free agent. There is no question in my mind that he's moving on. He's not coming back to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Why wouldn't they trade him to a non-playoff team if that team's interested just to get a jump on the market? So I think, you know, you look at a guy like Corpusalo, you look at Georgiev, who we mentioned just previously in talking about Igor Shesterkin. These are guys that make sense for potentially contenders that need a goalie, like a Vegas Golden Knights team. Uh, you see Thompson and Nett for the Golden Knights. Like they, uh, Robin Leonard's hurt. They need a goaltender. That's what's separating them. A little bit of irony, a team that traded the Vezina Trophy, the reigning Vezina Trophy winner away for nothing and is overloaded at just about every other position and certainly on the cap. They need a goalie. So Alexander Georgiev is another name that had popped up with the Vegas Golden Knights. The goaltending market has a lot of different facets to it this year. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a non-playoff team jump into the fray to try and get a guy that they believe in. Last one quickly here. Uh, Mark Giordano is a veteran I looked at on the list. And it's interesting to me because this plays obviously fallen off a little bit, but I still believe there would be teams out there who value the intangibles he brings on the ice and off the ice as well. If you're gearing up for a playoff run, but 6.75 million. I mean, if Seattle keeps half of this, how long do you think the list of teams would be that are actually interested in a guy like Giordano? I, I mean, I think there would be interest for sure. I think, Seattle keeping half is probably a prerequisite to start for almost every contending team that would be involved. 
I still think for Seattle, the the price is is probably going to surprise some people. I, I think this is a second round pick transaction for Giordano. I don't think he's in the first round pick category or territory. And I think the Kraken to this point have thought that he may be. So there's another facet of it too that exists with the Kraken and that we've mentioned this before. They're a team that probably needs to wait until a little bit closer to March 21st to begin pulling the trigger on some of the players that they have because they don't have a full-fledged, fully formed minor league system. They're in their first year of existence. They only have, you know, 10 pro players that, that are down there. Not a lot of warm bodies to call up and try and finish off your season. So just something to keep in the back of your head as you think about Seattle getting closer to the deadline. I don't think conversations have really ramped up yet on the trade market yet for Mark Giordano, but I think when it's all said and done, still seeing him in that second round range. There you go. Another interesting edition of Trade Targets. The article will be up at Daily Faceoff today as well if you want to give it a read and see who else could potentially be on the move. As always, the segment delivered by DoorDash. Promo code DFODD or save yourself of the border. DFODDUS gets you 25% off and no delivery fees on your first order. That's a wrap on another edition of Trade Targets. Let's get into our Dilly Faceoff inbox question, hashtag AskDFO. And this one came to us on Twitter from Noah. He is a Jets fan, if you couldn't tell by the profile picture. And he wants to know if the Jets are sellers, which it looks like they are, other than the pending UFAs in Cop and Stastny, who else could get moved? Frank, you, you've touched on like the big, big moves that the Jets could make. But are there some other fringe pieces that they could potentially move ahead of the deadline? Yeah, so we touched previously on the idea of Mark Shifley and just the conversation that exists out there. I think some of it is premature that this could be Shifley's last year as a Winnipeg Jet. I would say that one name that comes to mind uh, when looking at the Winnipeg Jets, and you look at the defense market in general, you know, would the Jets be willing to entertain an offer for a Brendan Dillon, for instance? Like that's one name that I think pops up. He's sort of the Ben Sherratt of the deadline, but with term. And so I think there could be value there. Um, we'll see how the defense market shapes out. I think that's one thing with so many guys out there and especially so many pending UFAs as well. The Nick Lettys and, and some of the other guys, in addition to Giordano, who we just touched on, that you know, could potentially move that. I don't know that the market goes to a guy that has term, but if that were to be the case, I think there would be a number of teams that would be interested in a Brendan Dillon. Would be really interesting if a team takes a gamble on a guy like Dillon. Gamble, huh? Get into our points bet. Good transition. Another low-hanging fruit here. Uh, let's get into it, Frank. I uh, went one for two yesterday on my points bet picks on a Sunday, but today it is a actually fairly busy day, and it starts with some afternoon hockey. As you can see right there, the Bruins and Avalanche get going in like 35, 40 minutes here. And that's actually where I'm going for my first play of the day. I'm taking the Colorado Avalanche to win this game in regulation. It's paying out about minus 110. The Avs 4-1-1 and so far in February, outscoring the opposition 17-11 to in that span. Bruins just 3-3-1 in the month of February as well. They have losses to both New York teams recently. They've barely beaten Ottawa twice now in the last sort of 10 days. 
The Boston team, that's not exactly playing well. They're missing Brad Marchand as well. This Avalanche team, absolute wagon. Minus 110 for them to win in regulation is a good price for me. And for my second play right below there, Carolina in Philadelphia to take on the Flyers. And I can't believe the Canes are plus money here on the puck line. It's a Carolina team that, again, playing, you know, pretty well as of late, not as hot as they've been at different points this season, but they're coming off a big win over the Penguins yesterday. And it was a win where they started anti-Ranta, which means they should have Freddie Anderson going in this game against Philly. Philly's only covered the puck line once in their five games so far in the month of February. So the fact that we're getting plus money on one of the best teams in the league in the Carolina Hurricanes on the puck line, that's good enough for me. And my player prop, John Tavares to pick up an assist. The Leafs are taking on the Habs. And yes, the Habs are, you know, keeping pucks out of their net a little bit better than they were before the coaching change, but they still played yesterday. So I like the chances of the Leafs putting up some offense and Tavares specifically. He has at least an assist in four of his last five and seven of his last 10, which are those two markers I usually like to look at. Leafs power play also 35% so far in the month of February. Tavares is a part of that. So I like John Tavares to get an assist. Carolina puck line, Colorado in regulation are my three plays tonight, Frank. And that brings us to garbage time. The Olympics are over. I barely even noticed they happen outside of the women's gold medal game. I didn't watch a lot. Your take on the Olympics. Yeah, I kind of wish they were over for a while and for good because I'm tired of what's gone on with the Olympics just on a world stage. There's so many different facets and layers to it that it's really tough to sift through in a 30-second clip. But I think there's really two things that we really need to talk about. And one is just the sort of way that the IOC and specifically Thomas Bach, the IOC president, has glossed over and cowtailed to China uh, an authoritarian regime with not just human rights issues, but also take a look at just this photo that surfaced and the conversation that he had with Peng Shui, the Chinese tennis star who had alleged publicly um, a few months back that she was sexually assaulted by a high-ranking Chinese government official involved in the tennis association there. This has been a worldwide story. You know, why, why are these, you know, what's going on here? She hasn't been able to speak out publicly since. She sort of walked back her statement, uh, hasn't really left China since. It's been, you know, seriously one of the alarming things that's gone on in China on a long list of them. Um, the way that the games were censored in China, the U.S.-China men's hockey game not even being shown on government TV because they were afraid of being embarrassed on the international stage. Everything to the Chinese people in China uh, is on the up and up. It, it appears to be perfect. And, and it's just not the way the real world is. So it's not just that. But look at this Russian doping scandal and the way that it was handled. Uh, Camilla Valieva, a 15-year-old with uh, positive tests, um, not just being awarded the medal, but the way that her coaches spoke to her after her fell her fall in, uh, in the subsequent competition. So many reasons to hold your nose after what was really a forgettable games in general. Uh, no NHL players there. And I think bringing it back to the NHL in general, I think the sooner the NHL can run away from the Olympics, the better off everyone will be. Don't allow your players to be the sort of spotlight operation for the IOC, which has barely seemed to step up in the past, to even want to pay for basic necessities like travel, like insurance, things of that nature. You think of soccer and, you know, we want, we can talk corruption and what goes on there with FIFA and the World Cup, but 
on the international stage, soccer players don't look for the Olympics as their end all be all. They look for the World Cup. That's what's that sport's highest international pinnacle and achievement. And in this case, I think hockey would be well served and make it not an NHL function, make it not a business function, make it an IIHF uh, tournament led tournament where you have all of the different international powers that are involved and make the World Cup a legitimate, you know, something that you can count on on the hockey schedule every two years, best on best play uh, and, and sidestep the Olympics. I think the NHL and the game as a whole would be way better off. Yeah, it, you're right. Like getting that World Cup right is a big thing. It might take a few iterations. It'll take some consistent scheduling. It might even take the NHL sitting there and going, you know what? We're going to sacrifice a little of the profit to make sure this thing is done properly. But I, I do think they can launch a World Cup that, you know, obviously won't be as big as the soccer one, but could be this sports version of it and, and bring some more meaning to it. So a great point made by yourself. And I think there was a lot of people who kind of looked at this version of the Winter Olympics and kind of went, I didn't really pay too much attention to it, which is a shame because if it's, again, in a perfect world, it would be a celebration of sport. But that's clearly what it's varied away from over the last couple of years. Uh, that's going to do it. We ran late, Frank, but it was a fantastic show. A good way to start our week as well. We'll be back tomorrow with Frank and Mike McKenna on the Daily Faceoff show. Until then, keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com for everything you need around the hockey world and enjoy your holiday Monday. Thanks for watching the Daily Face-Off Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? 
but there's more. You gotta decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount, and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's gonna find the back of the net first, and you're gonna wanna be careful, because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you gotta predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.